Welcome to the Common Good Podcast, a conversation about the significance of place, eliminating economic isolation, and the structure of belonging. My name is Rabbi Miriam Turlenchamp. I'm the host for today's conversation between Pauline Hassan Berkey, Myra Martinez, and three people from the Common Good team, Courtney Napier, Greg Jarrell, and our producer, Joey Taylor. Pauline is the Belong Lab Manager at Pico, California. I've been with Pico since August 2020, and before I transitioned to Pico, I was a community organizer with the Sacramento ACT office. We have nine federations across the state of California, so I was organizing in Sacramento around housing and homelessness. Myra. work here in Boyle Heights at a parish called Dolores Mission Church. I'm the youth ministry coordinator here. What basically that means is I coordinate their faith formation. That's what I focus on, but we're a parish that focuses more on the whole person. So my main focus is faith formation, anything else the youth need support with. We talked to Pauline and Myra about Belong Theology and Belong Circles, a collaborative initiative between Pico California and the Othering and Belonging Institute. We begin the conversation with Pauline describing what Belong Circles are. Belong Circles were created as one of the answers to the divisions that we're seeing in our communities at this point. And so in 2019, there was conversations happening in Pico about the upcoming 2020 election. We were at at the height of a lot of stuff. We were seeing a lot of rhetoric online and it was spilling out into congregations and our institutions. And so based on what the Haas Institute, which is now the Othering and Belonging Institute was doing, we created a curriculum around getting people in intentional conversations, guided conversations around the key divisions that we see. So race, faith, class, gender. It was a series of four circles that people would go through and have this relational experience in hopes that we could convert that into action in public life. The concept of my neighbors across the street are immigrants and I'm continually voting against their interests because I don't know them. So it's creating that closeness and that proximity and that relational power in order to kind of see some of these divisions lessen. Myra, how were you involved with Belong Circles? Our community wanted to invite Belong Circles because they really want to empower the youth. We have a parish where a lot of work was done by our, our women here. They're getting older and we wanted to bridge that gap between our older generation and our youth. We have a social justice committee that's part of LA Voice. And so they suggested, why don't we try Belong Circles to bridge that gap? And so it turned into something else and then slowly it's turning into bridging the gap. But that's how it got introduced here to us. It actually was introduced beforehand through the social justice committee They had actually been through four belong circles, but the intention for us, for me specifically with the youth was to bridge that gap. And then it turned into leadership formation, which wasn't intended and a lot of empowering our youth. Could you all describe maybe one moment from both of you all that kind of captures the power, the significance of belong circles for you or your community? You know, there's been so many moments. So Pico, the network, we have nine offices. And so that's thousands of people that we're representing in our leadership, in our network. And so we had a Belong Symposium in 20, February 2019 to launch the Belong Circles. And so we had, I want to say like 500 people um, show up to the symposium. And 
it was just this powerful energy of people saying yes to bridging, right? People saying, yes, I'm willing to have these conversations. Yes, I'm willing to be vulnerable. Yes, I'm willing to share my story. That was kind of like the catalyst for all these ripples to start across California. And so all the way from, so we we represent the Southern border all the way to the Northern border of, of California. So very diverse demographic. And we had people up in True North, which is one of our federations up in Humboldt County, very rural area, have belong circles and bridge the divide between teachers and the school system and parents. In the Valley, we had people from synagogues bridge with Baptists. In Sacramento, we had college students out of UC Davis do circles and residents of affordable housing communities. And, and with Myra, you know, she's doing circles with youth. So we've just kind of seen it be relevant in so many different spaces. And I don't think that there's many things that can be relevant in so many different spaces where people show up, you share your story, and you can find commonality with somebody who you might not ever run into. So I think that relational power, it can't go understated about the impact that Belong has had in our network. Yeah, I actually have an example. I was thinking about this one moment. Most of our kids are Hispanic because that's what our parish is, our communities, 90% Hispanic. And so the Belong Circle is, has four different times we meet and each has different activities. And I remember there was one activity It was like around our identity and how community sees us and how we identify in community. And so we had put up different signs around the room that said gender, cultural, language type of thing. It was a group of six teens and us. And we had asked the teens, what is the first thing that people see when they see you? Go stand to that one place. And so we did that. But I remember when we came back from that activity to debrief, I wasn't expecting this, but I ended up sharing how my culture being Hispanic has been something that I struggled with in, in growing up, especially in college and entering a school that was all white. And knowing that, I think it's called counterculture. It was just like, whoa, and kind of experiencing being left out. And so as I shared that, he shared his story about when he was in high school and the same thing happened to him. And I felt like in that moment, I was surprised. I was like, wow, he's, he's sharing my story. And, and I felt seen. And I felt like in sharing my story, he felt seen. So for me, that's kind of what I feel belong circles are. Like Pauline was sharing about stories and we can share our own stories. And with that, we find connection. We find that there's nothing different in us that we're all the same well not all the same but we have similarities for me it's being seen and seen so that was one moment that I think for me encompasses belong circles I've been thinking a lot about in my personal work about belonging and Greg and I were just on a phone call yesterday talking about it so this is very prescient and and very interesting I was um, looking over the case study and that there's a very specific definition of belonging that is used it says belonging describes values and practices where no person is left out of our circle of concern it was encouraging to me to see that there was a definition of belonging because it, that's something that it can be very abstract I would love to know as you were considering adopting the belonging circle program into your work how how was it to see that definition and how did it address the needs 
of the folks that you were planning on working with? And did you have to tweak it at all to really kind of fit those needs? I'd just like to see what that interaction was. Yes, we did have to adjust it. We adjusted it several times. It was a matter of being flexible enough to allow people to find connection with their definition of belonging without straying too much from that, like concrete definition. For some people, the videos that we use, the popular education videos we use in the curriculum didn't work for them. For other people, it was, hey, we want to put a little bit more spiritual uh, language in this curriculum. So they they adapted it to their faith tradition. We had a Baptist church redo their whole curriculum for their congregation. And then we had a school take all of the faith language out of it. It has been able to be adapted to meet the needs of people. How we've seen that kind of speak to that larger circle of concern. What I feel like we're doing is expanding people's circles or webs of relationship, right? So if like you're in relationship with people who are in your household or in your community, look like you have similar stories, there's one perspective you have, but through Belong, that's been able to kind of expand for people. So we've seen it on an interpersonal level, but then we've also seen it on a larger scale level, on an organizing level where, you know, out of Bay Area, we've had a group of Belong Circle participants decide, you know, okay, we are in relationship now, we've gone through this experience, and now what can we do together? And so now they're taking action to advocate on behalf of and alongside the homeless communities in the Bay Area. So it's been different levels of engagement, but I think the curriculum as we built it was always intended to be adjusted to meet the needs of whoever was looking at it. I didn't do much of the original adjusting because the organizer did, but I know in conversations with her, we did adjust to fit it more for the youth. Things we did were activities we noticed that in our community, our kids, or in general, teenagers are like, who am I? What am I? How do I fit into the community? Do I have a voice type of thing? And so we were really trying to make that possible for them to have conversation around that and how they fit into the community, how they fit into the larger world and their own spaces. During the pandemic, we started One Belong Circle and we did it in person. The next time we met was over Zoom, which is another way we've adjusted it through Zoom. Most of ours have been through Zoom um, because then the pandemic hit. And then I know we adjusted a second uh, Belong Circle to fit. Our kids were struggling with depression and being at home and how does the pandemic, and then at the time, George Floyd came out and how do I deal with that? And so we did a second, we adjusted the belong circles to fit the pandemic, the racism, what was happening and create conversation around that. And that was really, that was really beautiful. So we've done about six belong circles. I feel like it's become a beautiful formation or space where they can just feel heard and be seen. And then that has led them to speak up and it's fed into other areas in their school. I've heard them say, Myra, I feel like I can speak up now at school. I'm not shy when I give my presentations. It's fed mm-hmm. into different types of leadership for our kids where they clearly said they weren't feeling heard. So now they've empowered. And so, yeah, that's kind of how we've shifted it. Really cool what you're saying, because I feel like there's at least two things happening simultaneously. One, it sounds like there is a practice or development of belonging within the group itself, within the circle itself. And then alongside of that, that sense of being heard and seen 
allows them to kind of go out and understand how they belong into their larger community and extend that sense of belonging to the people around them and demand that I'm here, I'm in my classroom, I'm in my living room with my family, I'm in my church, I'm in my club, and I belong here. I'm wondering how these belong circles are informing the kind of larger scale goals that an organization like a Pico chapter would have? How do the skills or the connections that are made, how are they reinforcing legislative or policy campaigns that you're working on? There are local policy issues that our federations all take on. And so it's different from from Southern California to Northern California. But I think as a whole, what I've seen in the last couple of years has been legislative and policy actions or movements that we're having aren't necessarily just about winning. It's about that connection or so like an example I have is when pandemic started, it was also the census year. So we were right in the middle of a huge campaign to get people to do the census. And I saw a shift in how we talked about the census because it was about belonging. It wasn't about being counted. It was about belonging to your community. And so that really changed how our organizers were talking about the census, meeting with leaders and how leaders were taking it on. I've also seen, I mentioned out of the Bay Area, the work that was being done with the homeless um, community. Our leaders are seeing that they're not just advocates, you know, which is it's community organizing is different than activism, right? It's about building leadership. It's about including people that are closest to the pain into architecting those solutions. And I think Belong has given us language and a pathway into doing that because we see the power of relationships which is the core of our model. It's the core of our organizing and how it's central to actually moving any of the work. And I can't say that I saw it beforehand, but I can definitively say that I don't see relationships being an afterthought or connections being an afterthought to our work. It is our work. And I think that Belong has um, amplified that in many ways. At this point, we invite you to take a breath consider the words of Rabbi Rachel Berenblatt. The poem is called, We Are Jonah. In Rabbi Eliezer's vision, Jonah entered the whale's mouth as we enter a synagogue. Light streamed in through its eyes. Jonah approached the bima, the whale's head. Show me wonders, he said, as though his own life weren't a miracle. The whale obliged. Swimming down to the foundation stone, the navel of creation fixed deep beneath the land. Tisk tisk, tie to the fish. You're beneath God's temple. You should pray. Prayer requires stillness. Running away had always been so easy. Sitting silent in self-judgment, forget it. But waves only churn the surface. In the deep, beneath the deep. Jonah was wholly present. We all flee from uncomfortable conversations, from the drip of a hospital IV, the truths we don't want to own, the work we don't want to do. Now we're in the belly of the whale, someplace deep and strange. God calls us to awareness to stand our ground in the place where we are, to do the work which needs doing, to bring kindness and mercy even to those who are unlike us. 
Are we listening? As we return to the conversation, Pauline describes how the concept of belong theology came to be. We participated in a research study with Vanderbilt University. They came and they really studied um, how belong was impacting our community organizing and how it was impacting people's engagement with our network. And so I think sometimes you ask somebody a question and then they actually give you a different answer. And I think that's what happened with the researchers. They came in and they were looking to see, okay, how, how does belong equate to people getting involved in community organizing? So they were looking at hard uh, data, like how, how many meetings are people attending? How many actions are they uh, participating in and things like that. But what they really uncovered was this culture, this culture that was being created through belonging and how people felt valued and how people extended value to others and continued to weave that into the fabric of their organizing. And so the study really walked away with, hey, we need more time to study the impact, kind of the hard data. But what we know for sure is that transformation is happening in how people talk about the work, how they position themselves in organizing. And we can trace that back to their involvement with these belong circles and trace it back to the power that's unlocked when people share their stories and people's stories are actually heard. There's something about, hey, I can tell you who I am, but if I feel like there's space for that and that's integrated into the life of the federation or the life of the institution, this concept of belong theology, where I don't think you can talk to anybody from up or down the state that doesn't um, talk about belonging in our network, which is, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. It really, really is. I think the thing that was surprising to me about this phrase was this inclusion of, of the theological world. What does that have to do with the work that you all are doing? How, how is the orientation towards God or about God or the understanding of God inform this, the, the actualization of belonging in the work that you all are doing? We're faith-based organizing, and we organize in faith institu- institutions, multi-faith. So synagogues, mosques, Christian congregations. And so I think that what we've heard over the last couple of years is this, I don't want to say like awareness, because I think it was there before. Um, it's not like we uncovered anything for faith leaders, but I think that there's just been an intentional language or communication. I can't articulate it. But what I've seen is that belonging in our faith institutions has been more intentional across a multi-faith community. I wouldn't say that we were siloed before. I think we have a pretty healthy multi-faith network. However, what we've seen is that there is an intentional practice of bringing the sacredness of this work into spaces like a city council meeting or a meeting with our mayor. So in Sacramento, two years ago, I was in a meeting with our mayor and our board president at the time um, brought up belonging in a, in a meeting with the Sacramento mayor. And I don't know that that would have happened had they not been part of the belong movement and been part of these circles. And there's a, a clear understanding of like, okay, if we're talking about the budget, we're not just talking about numbers here, we're talking about people. And pe- there's this, this value of people. What I hear you saying is that belonging is a sacred issue. It's not an issue about just numbers and rote kind of thing. It's, it's actually a, a matter of the, the sanctity or the sacredness of people in life. Yeah. I mean, Ben McBride, who was with Pico California and pushed this movement for our network. One of the things I'm, I'm hearing his voice in, in my head right now saying, you know, the first question people ask is, what can we do? And he goes, but what people really should be asking is, 
who do we need to become? And that was really his mission around belonging. And this belong movement was how do we have people ask themselves truly, like, who do I need to become so that this work, the sacred work that we're doing is impactful, not just in winning campaigns and winning seats on city council, but really that we're having that transformation occur in our communities. And so that's the practice of belonging, right? interrogating for yourself, who are you and who, who do you need to become so that that circle of concern grows. Some of my work is in liberation and racial healing work. I do hear that argument of, well, you know, it's time to stop having the conversations. It's time to stop doing the relational work and, and doing this kind of like soft work. And we need to, we need to go out and whether that be external work like protesting and demonstration, whether that be policy change, whether that be running for office and these kinds of things. And your argument is in a way the opposite of that, or at least an opposite energy, which is if we can create this internal and interpersonal energy, then that interpersonal energy will ripple out into larger and maybe actually unique external work instead of maybe the same types of external work that we've seen up to this point. I just want to know if you've received any of that type of pushback from folks in your community and how, and especially from the activist community and how have you responded? How have not just defended, but really kind of illuminated the power of this community and relationship building work? There's this tension between wondering if relationship building versus like activism being out in the streets, which, which is better. And you said something that I hear a lot that relationship building is like soft work and nothing about this has been soft. (laughs) Um, There has nothing about this has been clean. And I know maybe some of the language that I'm using makes it seem like it's been like great all the time. Um, It hasn't, it's been extremely messy a motto that I use in my personal life, my, my father-in-law, I always give him credit. So he, wherever he hears this, I, I'm giving him credit. He says, grace is messy, you know? And so these conversations that are being had, these relationships that are being built are not without tension, have not been without conflict. We've had conflict around Black Lives Matter at these tables. We've had conflict around women in faith leadership. We've had conflict around anti-Semitism. Like we've had these really hard conversations that hopefully spill out into the streets because there are people who are in these circles who are going out and doing the protesting and going out and doing the activism work. And that is a spiritual battleground there too. If when I go to a protest, it, it is it is spiritual. It's all spirit for me. You know, I leave in my whole body, my whole spirit, my whole soul is affected. I don't think it's either or. I think it's both, right? And so I don't know that we've answered when people have critiques about, well, we need to, you know, be out in the streets and not just talking about it. I guess the only question I have is like, well, what's the alternative? If we don't know each other, if you don't know who you're marching next to, then then what's the alternative? And what we do know for sure is that in our network, what we've seen is that relationships keep people at the table, right? Actions, public actions, going out to protest, winning, winning campaigns, brings people to the table, gets them energized, gets them having a shared agenda, but the relationships that they build one with themselves and then with their counterparts is what keeps them at the table. And we've had people that have been doing this work for 40, 50 years plus, 
And that was long before we created any kind of circles. But what they'll tell you is that there's power in the relationship. That's the Alinsky models. That's what we've founded this whole thing on. And so belong just reinforces that. I'm sold that that y'all are doing really important work that has to be done. But I'm also wondering about like, where is it not working? Or where's the kind of edge that if you could solve this issue, it really sort of lead you into the next chapter. If you could connect people across what difference that you haven't been able to bridge yet, that you, that it would really make a big difference. I can think of two uh, areas that I'm seeing on the like larger level. I'm sure there's um, more specific things at each local level, but Number one, I think most social justice organizations are dealing with a polarized and extremely polarized community. And so it's hard to even bring people to the table. There's just a very closed off kind of feeling with people. And so there's a lot of convincing that has to be done on our organizers and our staff's part about like priming leaders for this conversation. Because if you bring people to the table that aren't ready to bridge breaking happens. And I spoke a little bit about that, but we've had, I mean, there's been some really tough conversations and and some breaking that has happened, not intentionally. And then secondly, I think we're still trying to figure out how to get people engaged. Four circles is not enough to really build deep relationships. It's a start. And we're aware of that. I think we're constantly asking like, what's next? How do we continue to move people? Some people show up more ready to jump into the work. And we kind of have to slow them down and say, hey, let's like, let's, let's uh, spend time in these relationships while others by the end, they're like, oh, that was cute. That was nice. There's still some work there. And, and I don't think we have the secret sauce yet, but I think we just continue to do it. And what works works. And uh, we're grateful for that. Thanks for listening. Check out the show notes to learn more about Belong Circles, the case study mentioned, the Common Good Collective, and all of the voices you heard on this episode. This episode has been hosted by me, Rabbi Miriam Turlenchamp. It's been produced by the fabulous Joey Taylor, and the music is from Jeff Gorman.